from the authors of Author Masterminds. This is Mysterious. Mystery surrounds us every day. Join us and listen to true stories of mystery, from human behavior to nature and the physical environment to paranormal experiences. The stories are true, even if we can't explain them. Alaskan Ghosts In May of 1973, the chief mate and two sailors on the Alaska State Ferry, Malaspina, saw a sight about which they are undoubtedly still telling their grandchildren. On a clear Sunday morning near Twin Island in the Revilla Agadio channel north of Ketchikan, a huge vessel suddenly appeared dead ahead, lying broadside to the ferry. It was about eight miles away and was an exact, natural, and real ship. The three men in two different locations on the ferry reported the same sighting. With binoculars, they scanned the strange vessel and saw sailors working on the deck. The ferry crew watched the apparitional ship for 10 minutes and then, just as suddenly as it appeared, it vanished into thin air. How you doing? I'm Steve Levi, the master of the impossible crime, here to read about Alaskan ghosts on Mysterious. And this program is sponsored by the Readers and Writers Book Club. Alaska, just like every other state, has its share of ghosts. Alaskan ghosts are no different than those in the lower 48. They walk through walls, talk to themselves, appear and disappear at will, and generally upset quite a few people in the process. But in Alaska, ghosts are viewed more as a part of the Northland's rich heritage rather than evil spirits that are doomed to haunt the world of the living for eternity. Take the ghost in room 5 of the Gokona Lodge. This spectral being is known to stomp up and down stairs, turn down music, frighten dogs, slam doors, talk to itself, and even blow pipe smoke in people's faces. John and Jerry Strang, who own the Gakona Lodge, started a list of the ghosts' idiosyncrasies, but stopped when the list became too long. Under normal circumstances, one would assume that the ghost would dissuade people from spending the night there, particularly in room five, where the ghost hangs out. To the contrary, business at the Gokona Lodge is booming, probably due to the ghost. In fact, John and Jerry feel that the ghost is such a draw that when a woman from the University of Alaska Fairbanks offered to hold a seance for the purpose of ridding the lodge of the spirit, the brothers turned her down. Who's the ghost? Good question. No one knows for sure. The brothers did find an old photo in the lodge of a man with a pipe who they think may have been the human husk of the ghost. There's no reason for the Strangs to be concerned. As long as people come to Gokona Lodge and ask to spend the night in the garish yellow room number five, the ghost is good for business and a bona fide part of Alaska's heritage. 50 miles south of Gakona is the Tonsina Lodge. Here, the ghostly bartender resides, occasionally walking between the old lodge and a tavern. The Mangy Moose Saloon. This is where the ghost has a favorite room, number 18. Maids have occasionally found the door to that room locked from the inside, though no one had spent the night there. And, on more than one occasion, an indent on the bed where someone 
or something had sat, though no one had rented the room. The ghost apparently doesn't like people in its chambers, however. In 1981, four members of a road crew rented the room. Before morning, all four were sleeping in their trucks, and none of them would say why. When the maid went to clean the room the next morning, it was bolted from the inside. Unlike the specter of the Gakona Lodge, this one is visible. Described as a tall, thin man with longish hair, a black tie, and mustache, he also displays facial expressions. A courteous ghost, he has opened doors for women with their arms full of groceries. Each part of Alaska has its own heritage of ghosts. In the interior, there is the ghost of Fort Yukon, recorded by William Healy Dahl in the 1800s. Dahl wrote that in Fort Yukon, knocks would be answered to empty doors and cooking utensils would move from the hooks without human hands. Strachan Jones, the post trader for the Hudson Bay Company at the time, professed ignorance of the strange happenings even though everyone in Fort Yukon had witnessed at least one eerie event. Oddly, in the spring when Jones and his men headed downriver with furs, at nightly bivouacs, to the astonishment of the voyagers, the noises continued. Raps and scratchings were heard on the boat's mast, and men who slept around the campfire swore they heard Jones talking to a voice unknown to any of the parties. There have been two reported ghosts in the Aleutians, though there is no documentation by which they can be traced. One is Jake, who supposedly walks the beach below the Scotch Cap Lighthouse Foghorn on Unimac Island. The Scotch Cap Lorand Station has been dismantled at this time. On April 1, 1946, a tidal wave crested at Scotch Cap and five Coast Guard lighthouse personnel were swept to their deaths. Today, Scotch Cap, which overlooks the confluence of the Pacific Ocean and the Bering Sea at the southern end of Unimac Pass, is an automated lighthouse. Though there is nothing on paper, some of the Coast Guard personnel at the old Lorsta, a Lorsta station, a Lorand station, have sworn to have seen Jake, or at least his footprints, on the beach below the lighthouse at Scotch Cap. The second ghost is that of a Japanese colonel on Attu, who has been seen by at least one credible witness. In southeast Alaska, Skagway has a gold rush ghost, and it, like the ghosts of Gekona and Tonsina, haunts a specific room in a hotel. Mary, the friendly ghost, lives in room 24 of the Golden North Hotel in Skagway. She's a shadowy figure that floats through the air and can sometimes be seen near the window of a room where she resides. As the story is told, Mary came north at the request of her Klondike rush sweetheart, who swore he was going to marry her. She arrived in Skagway and rented room 24 in the Golden North Hotel. The wedding was never to be, though, for he was killed in a landslide on his way to her side. Mary refused to accept his death and continued to wait. She soon developed consumption and became very ill. One day, the doctor stopped at her hotel room to check on her condition and found her dead. Perhaps appropriate for a ghost, she was completely dressed in her bridal outfit. Mary likes to wander the Golden North Hotel and occasionally turns on lights or pulls drapes shut. In 1983, a family reported that someone opened the door to their room and sat down on the edge of the bed. They saw the door open and they saw the indentation on the bed. They saw the indentation leave and the door close. Mary is not the only ghost in Skagway. 
It is said that there is a ghost lingering in the Poolin House, a deteriorating boarding house, and the one that bellies up to the bar at Skagway's best-known saloon, The Red Onion. Uh, let me take a short break. Mysterious Podcasts are sponsored by Author Masterminds and Readers and Writers Book Club. We invite you to join the club. You can chat with Author Masterminds, you can read content pieces and serialized books, and you can buy books at 50% off the list price. Please check Mysterious Show Notes for links to the book club and Author Masterminds. The oldest known white man's ghost in Alaska is also in the southeast and is said to have haunted Baranoff's Castle in Sitka for 50 years. Uh, don't look for Baranoff's Castle today because it was destroyed by fire in 1894. But in the 1800s, it was the most impressive building in Sitka, even though it was built of logs, not stone, and was situated on what is now Baranoff's Hill. The ghost of Baranoff's Castle was romanticized and popularized in a 1911 book, The Lady in Blue, A Sitka Romance, by John W. Arkander. How true the story is, is not known. But the names in Arkander's book have historical basis. There really was a governor, Adolf Etholin, and a father, Vienemanoff, who later became Bishop Innocent. But the authenticity of the story is a bit murky. According to the story, Princess Olga Fedorovna was in love with a Russian naval officer by the name of Viktor Gregorov Shupin. Though he was of noble birth, he was neither old enough nor rich enough to suit the ambitions of Olga's rapacious uncle, Count Adolphus Palovich Etholin. Count Etholin was the governor of Sitka at the time, and thus the leading political figure in Russian America. A more suitable mate, the governor thought, was Prince Ivan Sergeyevich Peplov. Peplov was wealthy, powerful, and had excellent political connections. But... On the other hand, he was old and ugly, selfish, rude, a gambler and a drinker, and he'd driven at least one wife to suicide. But Peplov had other problems. He was infatuated with the princess, but couldn't win her heart as long as Schupin was still in Sitka. Therefore, to remove his competitor from the scene, Peplov conspired with the governor to have the young officer deliver a letter to a ship anchored in the harbor. When Shupkin went aboard the Opera in September of 1843, he was knocked unconscious and locked below deck. The ship immediately left for a secret mission north of the Yukon River. When it became apparent that Shupkin was missing, many of his friends feared that he'd been lost while hunting or killed by sometimes hostile Clinket Indians in the area. The princess was distraught. The governor told his niece that the naval officer was surely dead and that she should marry his co-conspirator, the evil Prince Ivan. Father Vendiamenov, the Russian Orthodox priest in Sitka, also urged her to marry Ivan. There was another reason, the priest told her. Ivan was blackmailing the governor, and if she failed to marry Ivan, her uncle would surely be ruined and the family's name be smirched. Alone, thousands of miles from any relative and under pressure from both her uncle and the priest, Olga agreed to marry Ivan on March 18, 1844, but only if her naval officer had not returned by then. Prince Ivan rubbed his hands in glees and counted the days. 
Princess Olga spent her night with a candle in the cupola on top of the castle, looking for the light of any incoming ship. Finally, the day of her wedding came. The princess, wearing a blue gown, was married to Prince Ivan by Father Vienimanov in the Russian Orthodox Church. Then a wedding feast was held at Baranov's castle. But the feast was interrupted by the booming cannons of an approaching ship. Prince Ivan wasn't concerned. After all, he was now a married man. But Olga felt that her lost love was aboard that ship and slipped out of her own wedding feast. At the door, she met her aged aunt who told her that Shupkin had returned to Sitka and was waiting for her in her bedroom. There, she confessed her love to him and killed herself with Shupkin's dagger. Shupkin followed suit and the two lovers were found dead in each other's arms. For 50 years, residents of Sitka reported a strange light from the cupola of Baranov's castle on the 18th of each month, the last time being March 18, 1894, 50 years to the day that Princess Olga had married the evil Prince Ivan Selagovich Peplov. On that final day, Baranov's castle burned to the ground, and to this day, no cause for that fire was ever discovered. This is a very fine story, but the facts are a shade different. There was a governor, Ethelin, but his middle name was Karlovich, not Palovich. Neither he nor his wife had a niece by the name of Olga. The castle actually burned to the ground on March 17th, and although no one knew how the fire had started, eyewitnesses agreed that it was first observed in a glass cupola on the roof. Interestingly, in 1883, Eliza Ruman Skidmore, in her book, Alaska, Its Southern Coast, and Sitka Archipelago, reported that Baranov's castle was empty, except for a signal officer and the ghost of a beautiful Russian whose sad story is closely modeled on that of the Bride of Lamoror. She haunts the drawing room, its northwest chamber, where she was murdered, and paces the governor's cabinet, where the swish of her ghostly wedding gown chills every listener's blood. Twice a year, she walks unceasingly and wrings her jeweled hands. But this is all in the past because on March 18th of 1894, the castle burned to the ground. I hope you enjoyed this story of Alaskan ghosts. This is Steve Levi, the master of the impossible crime. Feel free to look for my books on Author Masterminds. And if you like short stories, go to the Readers and Writers Book Club and you will see some of my stories there. Thank you very much. And be sure to listen to Mysterious. Mysterious.